Hello, you made it. Welcome back. Here's another episode of Rock and Roll History, the podcast where we stage dive headfirst into all the hits, misses, and often overlooked songs and stories throughout the history of rock and roll. I'm your host, Mo Sislak. But who cares? Come on, everybody. Let's go rock and roll. Good news, everyone. I just want to take a moment out here to tell you that I found my pop filter. So that's just one of the many problems with this podcast remedied so far. Uh, Thanks for sticking with me while I iron out uh, the kinks on this. Uh, I never recorded a podcast before or much of anything for that matter, but I'm figuring it out as I go, and I want you to know I appreciate your patience. And again, thank you for bearing with me. We're learning together. You're learning. I'm learning. Let's do this. Okay. So, the story we're featuring today takes place between June 1977 and January 1978. The Voyager 2 spacecraft was just launched into outer space as Star Wars, talking about Star Wars, was taking the nation by storm. Uh, Also during this time, the Big Ear Radio Telescope, operated by Ohio State University as part of their SETI, or the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Project, uh, received a radio signal from deep out in space, which today is now known as the WOW signal. Uh, It's a very interesting little story that makes you think, and I'll have a link for it um, featured in the show notes on the website. The Sex Pistols had just recently released their single, God Save the Queen, in honor of Queen Elizabeth's Silver Jubilee, and they would go on to also release their groundbreaking album, Nevermind the Volocks, later that same year. And of course, Elvis Presley had just released his single titled, Way Down, and he was found dead in his home at Graceland in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. needs at Halley Specs. There's a showroom near you in Beverly Hills, Canoga Park, Whittier, Arcadia, Studio City, South Bay, Santa Ana, and San Diego. Something new has been added to Carpeteria's full line of wall-to-wall carpeting. They've got American reproductions of authentic oriental designs made of long-wearing, easy-to-clean ink and nylon. You might have to pay thousands of dollars for an original, but you can enjoy the classic beauty these rugs for a fraction of the cost. You can choose the 6x9 for $49.95 or the 9x12 at $89.95. So you see, good taste, it's not expensive at Carpeteria. Save on all your lighting needs at Halley Specs. There's a showroom near you in Beverly. Here is a bulletin from Channel 5 News. Singer Elvis Presley has died in a Memphis, Tennessee hospital. The 45-year-old entertainer apparently died of a respiratory ailment. No other details were given. Repeating, singer Elvis Presley has died at the age of 45. A complete report tonight on Newswatch at 10.
camping is great fun, but I'll confess, I like the conveniences as well. Up here at Silent Valley, we have them. Hookups, cable TV, barbecue at every site, modern washrooms with hot showers. This is camping in style. Great for the kids. The teen center offers everything, and thank goodness, it's away from the adult center where we can have our own kind of fun. Our own pool and sauna. Everything is here in Silent Valley. General store, comfortable restaurant, church services under the earth, Today's story, I think of as one of those legends that needs to be shared since it falls into that often overlooked category of rock and roll. I know it tends to get glossed over or outshined by all the fluorescent lights highlighting those beautiful germs t-shirts you see for sale at your local shopping malls and Hot Topics. This is an important story that I feel needs to be shared. The story takes place in a little dingy basement about two blocks off Hollywood and Highland, located at 1655 North Cherokee Avenue, where the excremental primordial soup of Los Angeles' first punk scene was spewed out by the misled and outcast youth of late 1970s Southern California. Now, actually, to be fair, it wasn't a little space at all. It was closer to about 10,000 square feet, but I'll get more into that later. Before we get there, I need to talk about a man. A single man. A single important man. That beautiful man's name is Brendan Mullen. Brendan Charles Mullen was born October 9, 1949, in Paisley, Scotland, just outside of Glasgow. According to his obituary in the Los Angeles Times, it says he was born to a Scottish father who loved musical theater and to an Irish mother. Uh, it says nothing else about his mom, but I'll go ahead and assume that she liked musical theater too, uh, since she was having babies with that dude. Uh, when, Brent, when Brennan was about eight years old, the family moved to England. And according to a guy named Rick Tyson that I found in a YouTube comment section, Brennan and his little brother Len lived in Stockport, which is a little south of Manchester. This guy also says that Len was very good at running, and he was so good at running, in fact, that uh, he appears in the beach scene from the movie Chariots of Fire. Uh, not sure what to make of that, but neat side note, I guess. So by the mid-70s, he was a teenager writing for local magazines. Uh, YouTube comic guy says he was a trainee, um, like a newspaper reporter trainee. Uh, yet another YouTube source with the username Windchaser notes that he was specifically working for a thing called Barney Press Weekly in North London. I tend to believe these YouTube guys as an accurate source since they are so oddly specific, but take what you will from that. Around this time is when Brennan then relocates to the United States. Arriving in the U.S., he floats around the country for a bit and eventually gets settled into Los Angeles, California in 1974. The obituary states that by 1977, he was an amateur musician. And it's unclear to me how, in those three years, he went from being this writer guy to a musician. But some sources state that he ended up in a brief relationship with the singer-songwriter Judith Judy Sill. That's J-U-D-E-E Sill. Sill, who I had never heard of until I started researching this episode, was a Los Angeles-based folk singer, once featured on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, and who also had inspired Iggy Pop himself to write a Stooges song. 
Iggy stated in an interview after seeing her on TV complaining that she didn't like rock and roll bands because they're too young, loud, and snotty, he felt inspired to immortalize her wisdom with a Stooges song. There's an article I found on the great Whitaker Walks blog, complete with a comment from Cheetah Chrome himself posted in 2011 confirming that that is indeed where they got the inspiration for the title uh, of the Dead Boys' seminal album, Young, Loud, and Snotty. So thanks, Judy. Uh, I'll leave it in the show notes. You should check it out. So Judy Silk came from a violent upbringing and had a trouble-filled life filled with drug abuse, which eventually led to her death by overdose at the age of 35 in 1979. To get a better understanding of this period of Brendan's life and to appreciate his way with words, let me quote the man to help explain the time he spent with her after picking her up from a restaurant on Melrose Avenue in Hollywood, 1975. A beautiful mural-sized black-and-white photo portrait of Bella Lugosi hung above the fireplace, Mullen writes. There was a large ebony cross behind her bed. The room glowed with racks of candles. The air reeked of incense and burning wax. All the curtains were drawn in the middle of the afternoon. Only slowly then did he realize that she was smacked out of her skull. Between bouts of sex... Uh, Still read to him from Rosicrucian manuscripts and from Aleister Crowley's Snowdrop from a curate's garden. Uh, later, he says, she seemed to morph into a serpentine cadaver, appearing to him as a huge gray reptile stretched out and curling around on top of the comforter. So, yeah, okay, still not totally clear what happened around this time. So it's 1977 and musician Brendan is now walking around Hollywood Boulevard one night and he's looking for a rehearsal space to play in. He then says he spotted an open doorway in a grimy alley and he goes down a flight of greasy stone stairs and just like the mythological story of Thesis stalking the Minotaur, he drags some string tied around an old hose pipe behind him afraid that he wouldn't be able to find his way back out of the pitch black, seemingly endless labyrinth of corridors, passageways, stairwells, tunnels, and musty, odd-shaped rooms. The man sure had a way with words. So after this, he eventually talks to the building owner and tries to rent one of these dank rooms uh, so he could have a place to practice. But the owner counter-offered him back, and but offered him the entire 10,000-square-foot basement floor, but for only $850 a month. Which in today's money is about like $3,500, which sounds like a lot. But for the entire floor of the building, Brendan figured he could just rent out all the different rooms as rehearsal spaces to some other bands and easily make the rent. He looked at it as a steal, goes all in, and the mask is born. Around this time, New York had CBGBs, Maxes. London has the Roxy. Manchester had the Electric Circus. Los Angeles had the mask. While none of these single places were where everything started, they were all extremely crucial and equally as important in shaping the way that punk rock, and rock and roll for that matter, would be shaped forever. 
Brendan Mullen never once claimed to have started punk uh, in LA, but he likes to think of it as like that was the first place that all the people, the vast, all the people of Southern California subculture, just they kind of came together and conglomerated in one space. Uh, originally, he intended the mask to be strictly a practice space, but it quickly became described as a haven for weirdos, nerds, borderline sociopaths, and assorted misfits with attitude problems. Eventually, the place kind of morphed into a club-type venue, and bands would put on shows for each other, which led to debauchery. It began to fill with graffiti, beer, drugs, piss, and bored teenagers. As word quickly spread, more and more bands started getting involved. Bands like The Weirdos, The Dickies, The Germs, The Bags, The Screamers, Black Randy, Alley Cats, The Go-Go's, Suburban Lawns, The Mau Mau's, The Zeros, The Nerves, The Plugs, The Dills, The Controllers, including many, many others. Even Devo showed up at one point. The list is long and I do not have enough breath to name them all. Exine Cervanka of the band X remembers the place fondly as a speakeasy in the club for a house of misfits. A lot of groups that would practice in there had that early punk ethos of just picking up and playing instruments, the uh, I can do it too attitude. A lot of bands that would play would be rough around the edges to say it. But, but that's what made it exciting. You didn't have to be like this prog rock virtuoso to be considered an artist or express yourself. And that appealed to a lot of people. Brendan Mullen said he liked to give the opportunity for all people to play and perform in public as he was inspired by the experimental composer Cornelius Cardew, who believed that musicians of all levels of playing from beginners up should mingle. Another thing about the mask that should be highlighted is the important part that women played in the scene. Uh, the presence of women had in the scene, they were ballsy and strong, inspirational and integral to setting the stage. Whether it was their inspiring clothing, music, art, they truly helped shape the scene. While other punk subcultures worldwide had women involved, I think LA also had an enormous impact with their female influence. There's a great webpage from Alice Bagg's website where it features interesting interviews from various female musicians and photographers who are witness to this early L.A. punk scene. It has many pictures and it helps give insight way better to this than I ever could. I'll link it in the show notes on the site. Also check that out. A place as vibrant as the mask, of course, attracted the attention of the police and fire marshals. Back in those days, people didn't understand this new type of rock and roll, and it's genuinely feared by the general public. They didn't know what to make of these aggressive kids that were living out of their own rebellious youth, much the same way kids of the 50s and the 60s did. This was just new, angrier, and their hair and their clothes looked funny. Happens with every single generation, and simply put, people just fear what they don't understand. So, of course, January 14th, 1978, the mask inevitably is shut down. Only a few months after the doors to those slimy stairs leading into that musty, dark labyrinth first opened. Mullen would go on to open and close more clubs, working with many bands such as the Beastie Boys, Black Flag, Run DMC, Husker Du, Sun Ra, Screamin' Jay Hawkins, Guns N' Roses, and I don't want to say it, I don't want to say it, but okay, the Red Hot Chili Peppers too. But there's so many more bands. This is another list so long that I do not have enough breath to list it in its entirety. I'm sorry I wasted my breath on that last one, though. 
Kidding aside, if you find him interesting, I highly recommend you look him up and do your own research. He has a fantastic book called Live at the Mask, Nightmare in Punk Alley, and it contains so many amazing, like, high-quality, great pictures, and there's stories and flyers from back in the day. It's truly a great book, and I cannot recommend it enough. Brendan Mullen died October 12, 2009, from a stroke, shortly after his 60th birthday. His doctors said that he didn't have any health problems, and they were, like, kind of perplexed by it. One doctor was even quoted as saying, sometimes your number's just up. And I think that's why the story of Brendan Mullen and the mask is so important. Whether it's your life or just a small venue for misfits, it doesn't matter how much time you have or what it is that you're doing, but it's what you do in that limited time. Sometimes your number can just be up, so make sure you make it worthwhile. Get up and go do your thing. Something even as small as the mask can change the world forever. So that concludes another episode of Rock and Roll History. Thanks for sticking around. Um, you know, I just want to say that I have uh, like a website on the way. Uh, so if you think that I got any facts wrong or anything, you can send me an email there. Just check it out. Jig it out. And keep on rocking and rolling.